that this reading is from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 6 and 7, and then Isaiah 61, verses 1 to 11. For a child has been born for us, a son given to us. Authority rests upon his shoulders, and he is named Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. His authority shall grow continually, and there shall be endless peace for the throne of David and his kingdom. He will establish and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time onward and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. The spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He has sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and release to the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They will be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord to display his glory. They shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall rise up, raise up the former devastations. They shall repair the ruined cities, the devastations of many generations. Strangers shall stand and feed your flocks. Foreigners shall till your land and dress your vines. But you shall be killed, priests of the Lord. You shall be named ministers of your God. You shall enjoy the wealth of the nations, and in their riches you shall glory. Because their shame was doubled, and dishonor was proclaimed as their lot, therefore they shall possess a double portion. Everlasting joy shall be theirs. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and wrongdoing. I will faithfully give them their recompense, and I will make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants shall be known among the nations, and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them shall acknowledge that they are a people whom the Lord has blessed. I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My whole being shall exult in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with a robe of righteousness. As a bridegroom decks himself with a garland, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the earth brings forth its shoots, and as a garden causes what it's sown into it to spring up, so the Lord God will cause righteousness and praise to spring up before all the nations. Well, this week we are bringing to a close, for now, our journey through the Old Testament prophetic literature, which has been carrying us up to and through Advent. If you remember, we have been hearing how different prophets helped the people of Israel deal with the trauma and grief of their experience of the Babylonian exile. And then last week, with the prophet Joel, we saw how even after the return from exile, things weren't all plain sailing for those who came back from Babylon. Uh, for their task of rebuilding the temple and city of Jerusalem. Well, this 
post-exilic period, as it's called, is the historical context for the main part of our reading for today, from chapter 61 of the prophet Isaiah. You may have heard me say this before, but the book of Isaiah, as we find it in the Old Testament, is actually three books that have been edited together. First, Isaiah, which takes us up to chapter 39, is set in the time, of, uh, in the time before the exile. And our first shorter reading from chapter 9, uh, which the angels were discussing in the sketch, uh, with all of its kind of messianic expression of hope of a child being born to re-establish the kingdom of David, that comes from this period, the first Isaiah period, before the exile. But then, instead of this new David, what Israel encountered was a time of exile in Babylon. And second Isaiah, which takes us from chapters 40 to 55 of this really rather long book, is a word of prophecy to the exiles, to those in Babylon. And it's in here that we find the wonderful suffering servant passages that we often read at Easter, as second Isaiah reflects on this period of suffering being faced by Israel. And then we come to the final section of the book chapters 56 to 66, which is a prophecy to those who have returned from exile. And it's here that we get today's main reading from chapter 61. And the key thing I want us to take away from today is that those who are tasked with rebuilding after a period of trauma need a strong sense of vision if they are to rebuild well. This was true for the ancient Israelites, and I suspect it is true for us as well. So let's spend a few moments now with Isaiah to hear what word from God he brings to those tasked with rebuilding after a time of exile. Well, he begins with a passage that we probably know better from Luke chapter 4, where Jesus reads it from the Isaiah scroll at the start of his public ministry in Nazareth. We sometimes refer to it as the Nazareth Manifesto. And we're coming back to this passage in a few weeks time. So I won't spend too long on it now, but what strikes me as significant is that Isaiah recognizes that all is not well with the world. There are people who are oppressed, people who are brokenhearted, people who are held captive to forces beyond their control and people who find themselves deprived of their liberty. And the vision that Isaiah offers is of a society renewed, of a social order rebuilt, which starts with a recognition of what is still wrong with the world, where people stand in need of mercy and restoration and comfort. This centering of the vulnerable at the heart of the rebuilding project is where Isaiah believes the people of God should always start such a project. And so Isaiah offers a way for us with the ancient Israelites to hold space for grief and lament and mourning. This is what our 
Blue Christmas, our longest night service, will be doing. But then into that space to begin to hear words of hope and a promise from God of restoration. And this, in a nutshell, is how we experience, or perhaps how we should experience, the season of Advent. It's a time for recognising the darkness and pain of the world, but daring to believe that there is a promise of new life from God coming to birth as hope in the midst of hopelessness. Just as Isaiah whispered words of divine restoration to the dispirited exiles, just as the Christ child came to a world of poverty and people displacement, so God continues to come to us in Christ as we too live in a world that is not yet the world as it should be. And the challenge for us as it was for ancient Israel, is to grasp this vision as we play our part in the continual rebuilding of the world that we are called to participate in with Christ. And whilst this is always the calling of the people of God, there are some years where it feels more true than others. And I suspect that this is one of those years we may not have to rebuild the walls of our city or reconstruct our holy sanctuary, but we have certainly experienced a time of exile, with many of us not having been into London or Bloomsbury for a considerable period of time. And well, as I speak to you this morning from the church, I bear good news that the building is still standing and the heating is still working. But this doesn't mean that we don't have our own rebuilding task ahead of us as we look forward to 2021. Both in terms of exiting the pandemic, God willing, and also the economic and social consequences of political decisions that will probably be taken today. I'm reminded of one of my predecessors here at Bloomsbury, the great Dr. Townley Lord, he was minister at Bloomsbury, in case you haven't heard of him, from the 1930s through to the 1940s. We have a small room upstairs named after him. I would just like to make it clear, when the time comes that I pass on, please don't name any rooms after me. <laughs> in the church history, Faith Bowers tells the story, and she begins with Alice, Townley's wife. She says, Alice Lord, this is as they began their ministry, Alice Lord felt they virtually had to begin again as they started at Bloomsbury in 1930. The active membership had dropped and Dr. Lord overheard someone outside the chapel observing that the church was finished and would become a cinema within two years. Faith observes, how alive a church is, of course, depends on one's perspective. There was life in the old church yet, but it needed to be reinvented to serve the new generation. Well, over the next decade, the church saw some growth, but then the Second World War came and things changed again as political decisions beyond the congregation impacted its life. Faith Bowers continues the story. 
War was declared on the 3rd of September and attendances at Bloomsbury dropped to 40 almost overnight and everything changed. Only three deacons remained. Dr. and Mrs. Lord with the handful of remaining helpers and the faithful caretakers kept the church open throughout the war. Residents and tourists vanished, but many service personnel passed through London and were glad of a welcoming church. As the victory celebrations faded, it became clear that people were not returning to live around the church in the old way. Office blocks replaced residential apartments. After those heroic years, there must have been a sense of anticlimax as the church grasped that there could be no return to the good old days. Alice Lord recalled the heartbreaking realisation that they had to start again from scratch in these inauspicious circumstances. Committed to Bloomsbury, they were determined that this church should not die. Well, my point is this. The people of God have been here before. There are times of exile and times for rebuilding, times of sorrow and times of joy. There is a time, as the writer of Ecclesiastes puts it, for everything under the sun. And right now, the promise of the vaccine offers us a hope for the end of our time of pandemic-related exile. And in the next few months, we will be returning to our sanctuary and rebuilding our community. But as those who returned to Israel from Babylonian exile discovered, we will not be able to rebuild exactly as before. Through our time of exile, some things have died, projects have ended, and ways of being have ceased. And we will mourn their passing, and then we will build anew. One of the positive things we have discovered during our exile to the land of Zoom has been that our faith community can withstand a time of extended exile from our sanctuary. If you had asked me this time last year whether it was possible to sustain Bloomsbury Central Baptist Church away from its building and without meeting for the best part of a year, I would have said that I very much doubted it. But just as the Jews exiled to Babylon developed new ways of practicing their faith that not only allowed them to survive the exile, but which then sustained them through the millennia that followed. So I believe the way our community of faith at Bloomsbury has responded over the last year will create in us a robustness that will sustain us in the years to come. And as we seek to rebuild ministry in central London, we will need to keep our God-given vision for Bloomsbury before us. As we seek to rebuild our society post-pandemic and post-Brexit, we will need more than ever a guiding vision from God. Just as those who rebuilt after the Second World War set in place structures in society that have worked so well for so many. We will need that. And all of that work that we did in 2019, I'm sure you remember it, arriving at our values, vision and mission statements can be for us our call to a different future where God's promises are made real in our time 
through our community, in our church and in our city. And if you haven't read these words of values, vision and mission recently, I'd encourage you to go to the church website and spend some time prayerfully rereading them. And also reading the commentary that accompanies them. We will need these words before us, guiding our decisions and our prayers as we move forward from where we are to where before God we will be. And just as Isaiah's vision called the Israelites to discover that God's values are for the reorientation of society to a place where the poor are empowered and the enslaved are liberated and money is used to build equity. So we too can be part of building a better world where the present doesn't get to define the future but rather where the present becomes the occasion for thinking about what God is calling us to in the future. The financial instability caused by current political circumstances and the ongoing impact of the pandemic means I suspect that our wider society is going to need people of faith and vision to help rebuild in ways that center the vulnerable and care for the weak and the oppressed. So, as the trauma of the Second World War gave rise to systems of social security and health care provision that so many of us are so proud of in our country to this day, I wonder what visions for renewal and rebuilding we can advocate for that will benefit those who would otherwise now face isolation and exclusion. There are narratives of xenophobia and nationalism that will work against this and someone has to speak a different alternative and that is the task of the people of God. So from our work with Citizens UK on homelessness, climate change and community building to the possibilities raised by a renewed attention to a call for universal basic income, our world needs people of faith who dare to believe that a better future can be built from the ashes of destruction and the trauma of exile. Because we dare to believe that God isn't finished yet with remaking this world. And so Isaiah calls to us, as he calls to the faithful in every generation. And we hear an encouragement to live in hope that God is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that is at work in us as the writer of Ephesians put it. So as we gather today both online and in person here on the third Sunday of Advent this is a time for looking back at the difficulties of the last year. It's a time for being honest about the losses and the sorrows and the troubles it's time also for being honest about today, about where we are in terms of our personal faith, our community of faith and the difficulties facing our church, both practically and financially. But it is also a time for looking forwards with Isaiah to the promises of God that call us ever onward, offering us a profound hope that God has not finished, either with us or with our church. Or with the world. Next year will bring its own troubles, I'm sure. But if we remain faithful to God's call and trust in God's promise, 
we will continue to be God's people, called and commissioned to work and live in faith. And through Christ, God comes again and again to our world of darkness to bring in our time the eternally renewed glimmer of new life. Amen. Okay, so we've, we've heard this message from Isaiah. And one thing struck me, as Simon said almost at the beginning, those who are tasked with rebuilding need a strong sense of vision if they are to rebuild well. So what, what do we mean? What's our strong sense of vision? Do we have a strong sense of vision? I wonder if any of the panelists can help us out with that. Okay, I think that because we call this morning service a service in the series of provoking faith, we do have a vision. We have a vision that has the word provoking in it, which is prodding, pushing, pushing for new things. And I think that's the sort of starting point. Yes, thank you. I, I remember a few years ago when, when a gang of us marched up to, to St. James's Piccadilly for the shared Advent service. And I was grabbed at the beginning and asked by someone if I would read the provocation, which was an opening sentence at the beginning of the service, a bit like our call to worship, I guess. But yes, we need to be provoking, prodding, stirring things up. Um, something did occur to me thinking about vision, which is that not everybody's vision is the same. Um, so especially thinking about certain uh, decisions that may or may not happen today with Brexit. Um, that there, there can be very different visions. And I, I was thinking that when we think about next year and think about rebuilding, we are going to have to um, be aware of each other and be aware that we are all different. And uh, I was looking at the, the words in the, in that, uh, in the sketch and in the Bible reading that, that's given to Jesus and, and kind of, I think we're going to need the, the concept and the reality of a wonderful counsellor and a, a prince of peace, because I don't think... I think we have to be realistic that we don't always agree, even on those things that were decided a while back, there will be different opinions and, and things change. So I think um, vision is an interesting one. The other thing that really um, stuck in my mind was um, something that Simon said where pe people who are more vulnerable and who are perhaps themselves the weakest are, need to be part of building that vision. Um, and I've been applying for jobs recently and um, a buzzword at the moment in, in my sector is co-design and um, co-production and um, involving people with uh, lived experience. And I think we also have to recognise that we have to listen to one another and listen to um, those who perhaps are not, don't have the voice that, that, that others of us have. So, yeah. Thank you. Yes, it's important to listen to all voices. One of the difficulties of Zoom, perhaps, and the way we've been doing things, is not everyone's been able to meet on Zoom. Um, the regular congregation they really has. Some people don't have the technology. We don't have visitors. We do have visitors online, but the, the visitors that we're dropping by, 
and some of our homeless friends have not been able to join us in the same way. So it's important to listen out for everyone. Andrea, can I ask, can I provoke you? Yeah, um, I, I was thinking of two things actually. Um, one of them is how, um, you know, how maybe this year was similar to Isaiah, what Isaiah is describing, you know, a period of darkness and then, you know, have a place of peace or something at the end well um so but it's kind of in the darkness that you know you build up the whole hope for what's what's going to come next um and i'm kind of looking forward to that um but yeah as as simon was saying if we don't have a vision or maybe he wasn't saying that. I was par I'm paraphrasing what he, I understood from what he what the sermonist was trying to say. If we don't have a vision, we might just run around like headless chicken and not not achieve what each of us wants. And it rang very close to home because I'm you know dealing with that in my day to day job on how to make people more efficient. Um, so. Even if we want different things, if we are all aligned on, okay, we want to, to be this provoking faith church in the middle of London, then that's, that's hopefully is gonna be enough to unite us. Thank you. Uh, Simon, I wonder if there's any useful comments on chat. This is where we miss being able um, to see the chat stream. We've just had a comment from Frank, who says we need to focus more on the immediate locality, i.e. up to 20 minutes on public transport. Otherwise, what do we have to say to the city? That's uh, Frank's observation. Um, can I just also add, we've, we've been told there's some technical problems with some people not able to view everybody on the ga uh, gallery view and some people saying it's fine. Um, if you're trying to watch on a tablet at home and you're not seeing all the panellists, you may need to swipe right or left to get the gallery view. I think some people are sending messages to say that's not working for them, but we've, we've tested it and it's working at this end. Okay, do that swiping if you're on your tablet. I think one of the good things from this passage is, is the, the promise of light, you know, the, we, we, we heard that reading, the people that walked in darkness have seen light, the, there is a return to the land. And I think, you know, if we, if we look at our own situation, which we've been doing, although we're in the heart of winter and we're, we're a bit concerned that cases are going up with the pandemic at the moment, we've got a difficult winter to get through. But just this last week or so, vaccines have started. Um, a member of the congregation has been called up for vaccine this week, we're very pleased to hear. And so there is a hope. And although we might be meeting like this, we've got something to look forward to. And, and so I think these are things we can think about and bear in mind as we begin to return to normal, as we begin to think about what do we do now? Uh, as has been said, there's going to be things that no longer happen, and that's sad. But there are new things happening. Just yesterday, Impact Dance, we've now started using our top floor. They had a, um, a couple of sessions here, and they had, I think, about two lots of 10, because that's only how many they can have in the room, two lots of 10 young people come and dance. 
And it, it gave me hope to see the building being used again. I've been here throughout the lockdown. It's been a very quiet building. And we've, we've not seen anyone other than decorators and carpenters and plumbers. So it's, it's good to see the building being used and to be being used by young people. And there, there is something of hope here. Does anyone else have any reflections on, on hope and on what we can hope for as we start to look to a future life together? Yes, Nigel. Um, a thought that occurred to me, and I've looked it up. Here's, here's some words from the Acts of the Apostles. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Well, guys, I'm still managing visions, so I haven't quite got to dreaming. But the vision I, that we see is that the people in Bloomsbury, the deacons, the officers, are younger and younger. And that's great news. So the hope for the future is the new Bloomsbury will rise up from the, the rather depleted London that we're in at the moment. So th thank you for all those young people who really do engage in what Bloomsbury is about. Thank you. Okay. All, all I was going to say actually was uh, another wonderful sign of hope is uh, we're lucky in, in, within the church to be able to see um, that uh, Dawn and Simon and the babies are here at the back um, and that is also lovely um, to, to be able to see um, but I think um, just a recognition um, the hope is really really important but uh, the recognition that this can be hard it, it, it is hard and um, yeah we we need to hope, but also be kind to ourselves and realise that, that there's mourning as well. Thank you, yes. Love never fails. We struggle to remember that even in the darkest moments, love gives hope. And as we pray in the sanctuary of our beloved church, in our individual homes, around the nation and around the world, we believe we are united as one family. So let us pause and find a moment of peace as we lift up our hearts together in prayer. Dear God, as we come before you in prayer, we do not know, we do not know what to say. Our world is ravaged by a global pandemic that has brought death and pain and fear. It has heightened the obscene inequalities that exist around race, religion, health, wealth, and power. But in all our dismay, we remember that love gives hope. We give you thanks for those acts of love that we see in telephone calls, in shopping, in food banks, in care homes, in hospitals, and in families. We thank you for all those who day by day are living out your love. And we pray for your blessing on all those who are so desperately in need of that care. We think especially 
of those who are suffering, having contracted COVID-19, or who are frail and vulnerable to infection. Those for whom isolation has been and continues to be a physical or mental burden. Those for whom the practical restrictions have taken away their livelihoods. Those especially for whom, for whom the pandemic has arrived after war, deprivation, homelessness and rejection. God, be their healer, comfort and protection. Walk beside each one. Give us, we pray, the conviction to walk there too, to support the volunteers and agencies working with them. As we look forward to celebrating your gift to us, Help us to give with our hands and from our hearts. So many of our worlds and even our own country's inequalities come down to power struggles, where despite high words and the poor and the weak lose out time and time again. We think especially of the homeless, and of our neighbours, the citizens of our great city, London, whose voices are sometimes not always heard beneath the clamour of industry, commerce and government. We think of those who find themselves singled out as being different on the back of long-standing prejudices. Give us, we pray, the strength to talk and to campaign for the outcast and the weakest in our society all, but above all, help us to be honest about our campaigning, our beliefs and our actions. Honest with ourselves and honest with you, O oh God, lest we fail you. Here in this gathering of your people, we pray for one another. Like so many others, some of us may have our own fears and worries. Help us to be understanding with each other. At this time, we pray for two particular families. We bring to you the family of Michael Porter, Dave and Sandy, Jenny and Sally, and their families. We bring to you the family of Iris Mardell, Tim, Kathy, and Helen, and their families. We give you thanks for the lives of Michael and Iris. We remember all the love and fun they brought to our lives at Bloomsbury. Hold their loved ones in your embrace. Support them and bless them, we pray. And now, give us each one the blessing we need. Here we have asked you for your healing and comfort, for your strength for our weaknesses, and your peace for the downcast. Answer the prayers which we have tried to put into words and the prayers which you have been reading in our hearts. According to your perfect love, which blossoms into hope within us, a love made known in Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Amen. 